I begin this episode by paying respect to and Nyambri people, the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work. I would also like to pay respect to the Darug and Yora people, the traditional custodians of the land on which yesterday lives and works. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners of this. Welcome to the Coconut Wireless Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lardner. I've got a really exciting guest for you this episode. Uh, this week I'm joined in the Bure by a gentleman by the name of Isaac Nasendra, who is, uh, he's of Fijian background, but he's spent his life in, uh, in the Western Sydney area. And uh, he's currently running as the Greens candidate for Bankstown in the New South Wales state elections, uh, which are coming up uh, this Friday as of uh, this episode's uh, recording and, and being dropped. So I'm really excited to uh, bring him to you because he's a, he's a very intelligent guy, very, very passionate guy about his community, not only in, uh, in Bankstown and Western Sydney, but also in Fiji as well, which you'll, you'll hear in the, in the chat. So uh, I won't keep you any longer. Without any further ado, Here's Isaac. My guest today is a gentleman of Fijian descent who is running as the Greens candidate for Bankstown in the upcoming state elections in New South Wales, Australia. He's a vocal advocate for climate change action, as well as a range of other issues which are critical not only to Australians, but also other people uh, around the Pacific. Here's, of course, Mr. Isaac Nasendra. Isaac, thank you so much for coming on the Coconut Wireless today. Uh, Bola, Jeremy, thank you for having me. <laughs> where, where, where in, where in Fiji is your is your family from? Uh, so my father's from uh, Lomaviti, uh, a village called uh, Arvundi in Ovalau, mm-hmm. uh, same island as the old capital, Lubuka. Hey. And, yeah, and my mom is from Namukanakelo uh, in Tailevu. Beautiful, excellent. And um, yeah, so you you go back there. You try to go back there every year. Um, that's how important is that to you to go back there and, and reconnect with your with your roots? I think it's very important um, as Pacific Islanders, um, especially in the diaspora. You, when you when you're born and you grow up in another country, you tend to lose that connection uh, with your heritage and with mm. your, I guess, your ancestry, and especially with your vanua, your land. Yeah. So it's always good to go back and get that cultural refresh and catch up with your family, um, get in touch with uh, Mina. Get your hands dirty. Get in yeah. the farm. Pull some dalo, and yeah, it's just um, it's just very refreshing. And you get to kind of um, what's the word? You you get out of the hustle and bustle of uh, you know the the big rat race. Yeah, um, city life by going back to the village and relaxing, drink some grog, and uh, catch up with the uh, the old the old folks, the elders back home. Yeah, so it's definitely. nice. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so, so have you have you always did you grow up in the Bankstown area? You you've always sort of lived in the area. Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up um, first half of my life in Lakemba, and then uh, you know housing prices started going up, up. So we kind of moved a little bit further out west, mm-hmm. um, down Reesby area, and yeah, I've been here ever since. Yeah, beautiful. How how's how's the area changed? Like in the in the time that you've sort of you've lived there, uh, it's it's changed heaps. There's a lot of development. Sure. Uh, a lot of high rise apartments popping up left, right, and centre. Um, but I think the heart of Bankstown is still the same. I mean, it's always been very multicultural. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing I really love about Bankstown and the area. Um, you can tell you, you've grown up in Bankstown when you're able to just 
swear in four or five different languages. <laughs> that's, that's part of the appeal of um, the area. And um, yeah, the heart's still there. It's just, um, it's being so much development, so much going on. Of course. Um, yeah, but it's still still the area and I still love it. But, yeah, beautiful. Uh, look, what, what, when was it that you decided um, to go into politics? Were you one of those kids who sort of, went, yeah, when you were four or five, you, you always wanted to uh, go into politics or, or did, did it come to you sort of later in life? Uh, definitely not. When I was a kid, I could not care at all about politics. <laughs> so anything that didn't um, revolve around my immediate surroundings or the footy, um, yeah. I was terrible at footy as well, but I just loved it. But yes. Oh, yeah, one of the few Fijians that wasn't good at footy. <laughs> but um, as I got older, um, I just, things just started to change, and I noticed that whether or not I had a say um, or I, I actively participated in politics or made an effort to vote properly, uh, um, things were going to change and decisions were going to be made about me regardless of my input. Yes. So I found that it's um, more important to have a say in those spaces than to not have a say. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how did you um, how did you come to connect with the Greens? Um, I, I was working with them for about a year and a half, um, just during the lockdown and a bit after. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just a good opportunity. I first started off in climate organising with um, the Pacific Climate Warriors and a little bit with Greenpeace. Yeah. Just um, trying to, I guess, push the Pacific voice and the Pacific perspectives in these spaces. Sure. And, um, yeah, I've, I kind of felt like we kind of was, like, preaching to the same people, in a sense. Yeah, definitely. not the best, but, like, speaking to the same voices around and around. So I think I just needed to switch it up a bit and go into a new space. And then the Greens kind of had an opportunity for me to work in the federal election. So I was able to do that and I was able to make new connections and find different avenues where I can um, hopefully um, make positive change and bring about the, the issue of climate in the Pacific. But then I was also able to discover a lot of other issues that are happening around the world. Yeah. Um, not that I wasn't unaware of it, but it just like kind of brought out the importance of highlighting these issues and how um, interconnected all these issues are so it's important just to acknowledge that and work towards all of these even though it's a big ask it's important to yeah, of course. fight for a lot of these issues yeah that affect all yeah. of us yeah definitely um as i said before you're seeking election to represent the good folks of the bank bankstown area uh like who, who are they to you well like what is what is the as well as being sort of multicultural like what does the bankstown community uh look like or represent to you uh, it's, it's family. Um, as cliche as that sounds, and everyone. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it pretty much is like when you grow up in the area, you you notice a lot of the same faces, and it's a it's a safe space. And often when people think of Bankstown, they think it's like a dangerous area. They think it's like a really backwards area, um, and nothing good happens around here. But that they couldn't be further from the truth. Um. It's just, we just get a bad rap in the media. Yeah. And um, the only time the media ever comes down here is um, usually to promote um, Islamophobia or xenophobia um, and find a soundbite. And then that just kind of escalates um, 
and further portrays the the negative image of the area. Yeah, um, but people don't see Bankstown for what it is, and it's just this beautiful. Uh, I don't like to use it, but melting pot. It's a lovely yep. cliche, but it is a melting pot of these different cultures, and it kind of merges and, and in this beautiful, harmonious way. Um, we're able to just share and um, love in each other's cultures. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a big multicultural. Um, harmonious family, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Thank yeah, you. yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, I, I love, I love uh, what you said there about being about it being a safe space as well. That's 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 wonderful. Uh, a, a massive part of running for election is, is obviously putting yourself out there and letting the public know about you and, and what you're about. Uh, was that daunting for you to to do that and put a bit of a spotlight on yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't like being the face of Anything I don't like being in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, so pushing myself to be a candidate was definitely putting myself out of my own comfort zone. But I think it's important to push yourself um, out of these comfort zones and find different avenues to create change and to promote um, change as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But I prefer to work in the background. I prefer to work like you know supporting other candidates, supporting causes. Uh, behind sure. the scenes so this this is a breath of fresh air for me and it's a learning experience yeah so i'm grateful yeah yeah absolutely uh, well, one of the biggest concerns uh not just for the greens but also for yourself as well uh seems to be action on climate change and and lowering our use and reliance on coal and gas energy can like why 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 do you think this is still such a divisive issue after everything we know now, like we've seen the science, we know that the world is changing and, and not necessarily for the better, but you know, like there, there's still people who not only argue against climate change action, but deny it. Like why, why do you think it's still such a divisive is issue? It comes down to a lot of misinformation and a lot of people are comfortable in, in sitting with their privilege and they don't want those privileges to be taken away. Mm -hmm. And that privileges have come from years and years of exploitation and sitting in the, um, I guess, the capitalist system uh, where they've been able to thrive. So a huge push away from the fossil fuel industry and into renewable energy means a huge shift in the market. And that'll just mean a lot of loss for a lot of the huge stakeholders um, in the market. And people just don't like to change. Uh, they're comfortable and they're happy where they are. So the more ability people would have to make money, um, the safer that they'll be. So pushing away from fossil fuel which will mean um, they will lose, these certain stakeholders will lose a lot of money. And these stakeholders often have, you know, their fingers in all the pie, pies, including the media, uh, TV, newspaper. So they'll, have, they'll happily peddle misinformation to ensure that the general public uh, will stay blind to change and to the actual science that is put out there. So there's been like papers going back to the 1980s, I believe, where um, that have just been uncovered, where like, I think General Motors, uh, correct me if I'm wrong out there, but yeah, companies like General Motors have, have done studies that have shown the effects of fossil fuel and the, the motor industry having a negative effect on the environment. And they've just like thrown it under the rug. Yeah, wow. Profit. Yeah. So it's it's been an issue for a long time, but it's 
Um, and we should have acted on it back then. But yep. unfortunately, we're here today and we have to just fight. So, yeah, here, yeah. We're, here we are right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's just, yeah, it can be, it can be quite frustrating. Um, yeah, just as the average punter sort of sitting there and, and seeing the misinformation getting served out and knowing that, yeah, there are people who would just accept it and that's part of the reason we can't all just walk in the same direction. So, no, I really applaud what you and, and, and your party are doing because it's, um, it's important work on that front. Um, one, one, no, not at all. Uh, the one thing that I love about uh, you, your messaging is that, well, you, you know, you're certainly speaking uh, to, to and for the people of the Bankstown area. You also tie in the concerns of Australia's specific neighbours as well, uh, specifically on issues around climate change, uh, which uh, that's already having such a devastating effect uh, in the islands and uh, obviously has the potential to get even worse. Um, why was it important for you to include the islands in your campaign messaging for uh, state government here in Australia? Being an islander is um, an intrinsic part of who I am, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be telling my full truth if I didn't speak on the issues that are happening in the Pacific. Sure. Um, and I, I'm proud to be in from the Pacific Islands. And Australia being, I believe, the third or fourth largest export of largest exporter of fossil fuels, um, while the Pacific has been facing the brunt of the effects of the climate crisis for decades, it's a, it's a connection that needs to be made and needs to be um, fought against. And that connection needs to be cut and shifted. And so Australia does have a, a responsibility to the Pacific. You can't call yourselves the big brother of the Pacific, but at the same time, um, be involved in activities that are slowly pushing your Pacific neighbours under the water or, you know, just uplifting their farms. And, and it's just, it doesn't make sense. You know, family yeah. doesn't treat family like that. So yeah, it's important to hold, hold our so-called big brothers um, accountable. So that's, that's why I find it important to bring that yeah. Pacific perspective into these conversations. And also yeah. because Australia has this notion that the issue of climate change is an issue for the future. And it is an issue for the future, but it's also an issue that we're facing now. Um, and people need to realize that we, we can't just wait. Right? Change yep. needs to happen immediately. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, we, certain people sort of made the decision to just wait back in the 80s. And now, now here we are. So we can't continue to make that, uh, that decision. Uh, let's switch and tack a little bit. Um, so, like, yeah, a little, little bit about uh, me and my family. My mum my is a nurse, and she actually came out of retirement during, uh, during the COVID crisis to assist with, you know, the huge strain that the healthcare system uh, was obviously put under during that time. Um, and it's, it's really great to see that you and the Greens are committed to improving conditions for, for nurses like her. Um, can you just talk a bit about the Greens' commitments in that area, please? Yeah, so um, the nurses, as you know, um, my mum's a nurse and my sister's a nurse and you know, a lot of the Fijian community uh, are in the public healthcare system. Yep. But um, yeah, nurses are just so overwhelmed and they're so under-resourced and just there's a lot of added stress on top of their normal day-to-day -day work, which is automatically really stressful, having to carry that emotional burden of looking after patients. Because when you go to a hospital, 90% of the time that you're there, you're talking or dealing with 
um, a nurse. A nurse is looking after you. You don't see a doctor unless you're being operated on. Yep. For that, yeah, you know, very very short time. Um, <clears throat> so nurses essentially are the backbone of, of the public healthcare system. So it's important that we look after our nurses first and foremost. And so the Greens are committed to implementing a ratio system in full. Um, no other party is committed to implementing the ratio system. So the ratio system is basically ensuring that there is a certain number of nurses to patients. So like a one, one nurse to every three patients in emergency ward, one nurse to every four in general wards, and one to one in ICU. Um, okay. these, these are the nurses asked. And um, there are other ratios as well, but we want to support the nurses unions ask in full because this is what they need. And yeah, for so long they've been overworked and we need to ensure that they don't burn out. I mean, we saw what happened during lockdown, as you mentioned, you know, they were overwhelmed and the healthcare system was just, was fumbling. And yeah, we could see an example of a terrible healthcare system in Fiji where like everything was like going down and yeah, they just had yeah. no supplies or anything. We don't, I want the same thing to happen in Australia, um, and it's important to acknowledge the work that our nurses do. So we yeah. also want to give them a respectable pay rise. I think from memory it was about 4.75%, um, and to have that increase in line with um, with the rising interest rates annually, yeah. so to make make sure that it's consistent with annual annual rate rises. Um, so yeah, those those are pretty much the general um, ask of the nurses union, and we're, we're happy to support the nurses in full. Yeah, fantastic. No, that's that's wonderful. That's really good. Uh, one other issue which you've spoken you know, very, very passionately about is um, the over-policing of areas like Bankstown, and, and you use the, the COVID lockdowns as an example. Could you just talk about that that issue a little bit, please? Because it was covered a bit in the media, but you know, a, a lot of people sort of outside of areas like Bankstown and, and other um, yeah other other multicultural areas like that um, wouldn't sort of understand what what the people at Bankstown went through. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just a bit of context, we kind of had what was like the the tale of two cities um, during the lockdown. So you had a lot of like multicultural um, communities such as Bankstown, Fairfield, uh, Liverpool, Campbelltown, Parramatta and the like um, come under intense scrutiny uh, during the lockdown period. We had um, a huge police presence um, to the point where we were falling asleep to police sirens and waking up to police helicopters buzzing around in the sky above us. So yeah. it wasn't an ideal situation. It pretty much much felt like we were in we were prisoners in our own homes sure. um, and you could understand the sentiment going, given that there was a global pandemic going on but it wasn't the same in um, less um, I guess culturally blessed suburbs and areas so, sure. you know the northern beaches the eastern suburbs um, they a lot of people were out and about in the beaches going for walks and stuff and you know if you if you were to do that in Bankstown, you'd be che- you'd be stopped and checked by the police to see where you're going, um, why you here, how long have you been out for, um, and it just it just felt like we were widening that gap. Um, yeah. You could see the privilege that was going on in these other more affluent areas, and and how unfair it is to cultural 
and diverse communities that were just always under um, intense scrutiny. So what lockdown did was it just intensified what was already happening. Um, we were always under you know, intense scrutiny from the police and from the government, but lockdown just exacerbated and they just gave out their true colours during lockdown and we yeah. weren't sure that yeah, the the police are, are important to an extent, uh, but not to that extent where this ultimately um, results in the automatic vilification of um, diverse communities. So we want to put an end to that. Yeah, definitely. I um, yeah, no, that I, I was so happy to see see you sort of shine a light on that because yeah, you know, I I lived in um at that point I was living in um during lockdowns in um in the right area and that's uh, another. Mm as you said, culturally blessed area with, with you know, a lot of different beautiful cultures um, living together. And um, I was working at a call centre where we were um, we were helping people uh, access a lot of the government uh, programs like uh, JobKeeper and that kind of thing. Uh, so I would have to travel yeah. to work each day. And um, like ev every day I would get stopped and like a couple of times have my bag searched and stuff. And then I would go home and see on uh, Instagram uh, like yeah, you know, some of my friends in Northern Beaches, and they're, like they got takeaway margaritas, and they're they're on the beach and stuff, but they're in activewear, so it's okay. And I was like, man, that's yeah, there's that that's not the same as like what 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 we're going through here. So no, I um, it's yeah, I, I applaud you for uh, for shining a light on that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Jeremy. Yeah, it's like I think a lot of people understand how intense, yeah. and people think that we're exaggerating how bad it was during the lockdown. Yeah. but um, you know. You sharing your own stories is just a testament that you know this was actually what we were experiencing at the time. And yeah, I'm saying we um look we we often um, talk about the importance of multi multicultural representation in media. Um, yeah, and we yeah you know, we want ourselves we want to see ourselves reflected in in the media that we consume. But yeah, you know, it, it would appear that multicultural representation in politics is just as if not yeah much more important yeah how important is it to you that there are people from a range of different backgrounds and experiences in politics i think it's very important um because what we see in parliament is we you get um what the old boys club um yeah. a lot of these people that have pretty much similar experiences because um people just get in because they know people or they just were brought up in that political sphere and so it becomes um, pretty much a silo um, in the sense that they all have the same lived experiences. So what you get um, is an imbalance in the power. You can see that especially when it comes to renters' rights. Um, a lot of, if not all, I believe, yeah, all politicians are homeowners. And um, they generally don't understand what it's like to be a renter in this economy. And so what we get is like this huge imbalance where homeowners are given a lot of the power to make as much money as possible, whereas renters are left in the dust because there's no, no voices in parliament to push for renters' rights, um, especially renters like people with lived experiences renting in this current economy. Yeah. And so we've got like this huge, um, this, the house prices are just ridiculous and that just trickles down into the rent prices and people my age, um, could only dream of buying a house in Sydney uh, in this current day, which yeah. is like, which is just, just 
ridiculous because you know you grow up and you think I want to live the Australian dream where I'm able to you know buy buy a house with a huge backyard and be able to play footy in the backyard with uh, my kids and stuff. But you you wouldn't be able to do that. You'd be lucky to buy an apartment, let alone a yeah. big backyard. Um, so everything's kind of shifting, and that's why it's important to have diverse voices in Parliament and especially people with like a variety of lived experiences because. Yeah, you don't get those voices, and if if those voices aren't heard, then there's no one to speak, and then you always you'll just get a silo of people preaching about the same thing, and they just yeah, in the end they'll just end up helping each other out because they're all part of the same sort of class and the same kind of group. Sure, sure. Um, look, have, just me myself, having worked in pubs and clubs for many years now, I've seen firsthand the effects of, of gambling on individuals and and families as well. I know the reach of the gambling industry is a big concern for you and the Greens. Could you just uh, talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so gambling, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, the gambling industry is like predatory to, to kind of sum it up. Yeah. Um, and the gambling lobby, they, they have their fingers in all the pies, um, much like a lot of the other lobbies in Australia. So they have a huge influence on politics and the way decisions are made um, because of the amount of money that's brought in. And all, all that money is made through the exploitation of people with an addictive personality um, that just, yeah, are trying to make ends meet, but they can't because, you know, gambling is promoted everywhere. You can't watch um, a game of footy without watching 50 ads about gambling and yeah. promoting gambling. Um, and that's just so predatory because you just want to watch the footy to enjoy the footy um, and not have to be bombarded by temptations that will, you know, ultimately ruin people's lives. Yeah, yeah um, So, yeah. And the way, like, pokies are set up is is to further that addiction, you know, the bright lights and the, the fun noises and the, yeah. the colours and the, how easily accessible they are in all, all pubs and clubs. Yeah. Um, it's everywhere. Um, so it's important that we are able to remove um, and stop the corrupting influence of the gambling industry just so people have a chance to um, just kind of live their own lives and not be not have to be tempted. Um, and also just to have more money for pubs and clubs and the such to, to kind of thrive in their own sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one one thing about the Pacifica community is that you know we obviously take so much pride in our own people. Uh, I know firsthand from my family who live who live in, in your area that the Fijian community especially is excited about you and, and your campaign and everything you're doing. Um, how 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 has that uh, reception been for you? Like have you been received pretty positively? Yeah, the um, the Pacific community in general, I think they're just really happy when they see they see me handing out leaflets at the station. Because um, I'm I'm usually trying to um, I'm usually in my my bullet shirt and my sulu. Yeah. And um, people take a look at that and like, oh, what is what's he handing out? And then they'll yeah. see that I'm running for the election, and they you could just see like their eyes white like brighten. And then I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I just keep doing. Like, I'm really keen to have a positive influence here and yeah. make a change because I I know Bankstown is a safe Labour seat and I the, the likelihood of myself winning is slim, but I'm going to try my best because I know 
even if I don't win, maybe the next Pacific Islander will be inspired to to break into the political sphere, and then ultimately they might have um, more connections, more strategies, and more technology might be able to support them in their endeavors to promote their own political campaign. And they might win. Yeah, so it's not just yeah me promoting my own thing, but also me promoting my community, and at the same time the community um, promoting me. Because you know, as you know, Pacific Islander, you're never really self-made. Mm. You're village-made. To quote my good friend Brianna, um, I stole that quote off her. But um, yeah, you're, you're always you're always going to be village-made, and you um, when you think about that, you're carrying your village with you no matter where you go. So um, yeah, it's just been great to see the yeah. civic community really get behind me. Yeah, good. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I was. Uh, you're talking about your 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 bullet shirt and your solo. I, I was. Uh, you, you definitely, uh, I was thinking, you, you're definitely the best dressed candidate. Uh, I think in this in this state election, so you, you've got that. Um, there's yeah, the ties, but it's, I mean, <laughs> the tie wouldn't work. <laughs> uh, there's been a troubling trend in in New South Wales when it comes to the funding for uh, public schools, where they aren't receiving the support that they need, while. Uh, it looks like private schools have received like a very significant amount of funding. Um, could could you talk about that imbalance and maybe maybe if if you can give some insight into maybe why that's happening? Sorry, could you um wait, yeah, so, so there, there's there's been a, a like there's a bit of an imbalance in terms of like funding for public schools where they're not getting what they need, but there's also significant funding going to private schools who may not be as needy, speaking very generally, as some of these public schools. What, why, like, could you just go into a bit of depth into, into that situation? Because I don't, I, yeah, I, like, I, I didn't realise how bad it was until, uh, until I sort of mm. started reading into you and, and what you're doing. Yeah, um, no, definitely. That goes back to, um, I guess, what you're saying about there being a lack of representation in, in Parliament. Sure. So a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the politicians generally come from private education. So they're automatically going to fund private education. Yeah. Um, so you, you get a lack of funding going towards the public education system. And they're severely underfunded. Um, last year during the federal um, election, they ran their campaign, um, more than thanks campaign, where they just highlighted how underpaid the public teachers are. You know, mm -hmm. they're paying for their own resources and pens and scissors and papers and stuff sometimes just because there's just not enough funding to go around. And there's just so many kids in the public school um, system yeah. and um, not enough teachers, but you have these teachers taking on this huge workload and not being paid their, you know, their worth. Yeah. Um, and what they're given, like, like the campaign was highlighting, was just a thank you from the then Premier. And yeah. the, uh, the Minister of Education. So, yeah, it's important that we we are able to invest in our public school teachers because an investment into our teachers is an investment into our kids and our future. Um, so, like, yeah, growing up, you would remember maybe if not all of your teachers, but you wouldn't remember any of your your, your politicians that were yeah. growing up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That were there growing. Up. So, why do you have politicians getting paid four to five? times the amount that teachers are when teachers are, have a much i'd argue a much higher workload and are much more valuable to society 
Um, so it's important that they're given their, their due thanks and more than just a, a thank you, but actually implementing um, systems to help them, you know, reduce their workload, um, incentivizing people to become teachers and at the same time give them a pay rise because they need it. And the, the rate of pay hasn't been increasing um, with, the, with the rate of inflation. So we need to make sure that it's all in line um, and that we look after the people that look after, we're looking after our kids. Yeah, but not just yeah. that. Like, why why aren't we also feeding our kids and our teachers while they're there? You know, they're forced. It's mandatory for our kids to be in schools. Um, so it's important that we're able to feed them. Like, I don't know why we're not feeding them. Um, we're paying taxes, but then yeah. we have to just pay for their food as well and to cover their excursions and stuff. Um, and then you have the issue of like mental health for our kids. Um, mental health wasn't an issue. Well, it was an issue, but we never really looked at it. Um, and we never really discovered how much of an impact it has until recently. Um, so it's important that we introduce counsellors into our schools to ensure that you know our kids have a healthy upbringing, not just physically, um, not just with their education, but ensure that their mental health is looked after too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so important. Um, look, mm. there, there must be so much work into running a campaign for a state election or any election. Um, is uh, for a party as well known as the Greens. Can you just give me and, and the listeners like a little snapshot into your average day at the moment? Like your, how much work goes into your average day? Uh, yeah. Um, so like during mornings, I, I generally just go to uh, the stations and hand out leaflets just to have a chat with the community. You listen to the concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd have like, various engagements throughout the day, whether it be meetings or um, just panels, uh, looking at policy, uh, things like that throughout the day, and then dealing with social media on top of that. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a whole lot of meetings, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not as flash as it, as it sounds, but... Um, <laughs> no, no, but it's still yeah. busy, though, right? It's busy. It's still full on, yeah. It's, it's yeah. still full on. Yeah, no, excellent. Uh, yeah, no, because I think yeah, we obviously see the um, the social media stuff and the, and the clips and that, but um, yeah, there's obviously so much work that goes into the the back end of that. So that's um, that's important to acknowledge. Yeah, uh, you, you're obviously your own person, young, and your achievements uh, are, are very much your own. But do you do you have any uh, mentors or like role models who've guided you at certain points in your your career within politics or, or before that? Um, before that, yeah, I've had a couple mentors. Um, well, there's there's quite a few actually. Yeah. Uh, other than like my grandfather was always a very big um, like impact in my life. Sure. Yeah. So um, he's always sharing stories and talking about his values and how he was he was probably one of the first um, community people that I've known. Like, he was a teacher in Fiji for a long time and. Okay. Um, farm and he'd always bring people from my village into the um, to work on the farm if they wanted to um, you know make money while they're in the on the mainland um so yeah he was a very community focused um man but um maybe in the australian context um yeah i've had a lot of um mentors um at university uh, one of my mentors was um a woman named amanda she um, really helped me um you know navigate those um those spaces at university because it's hard it's very daunting as a pacific islander um when you're one of the few there's probably about 30 pacific 
calendars on at UTS at the time. Okay. The system. That's like so significant, insignificant compared to the amount of students that were there. So it was good to have um, someone already in the system and as a staff that was able to push me through. And then I also had um, folks like um, Joseph Sikulu and uh, Fenton Lutunutumbua um, who really helped me um, in the organising space and the climate space, um, you know, navigate the, that area as a Pacific Islander um, within the international, um, I guess, context. Yeah, beautiful. And then, yeah, maybe one more um, mentor would probably be um, David Tribridge, one of the um, senators currently um, serving in the federal government in Canberra. Mm -hmm. um, he was always um, willing to um, have a chat and talk about things and how um, how it is to be in the political um, industry, but also being a candidate and what kind of workload that is, but also just to be true to yourself and um, to know that, you know, you should always look after yourself while you're looking after community. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's so important. Oh, no, thank you for sharing that. That's good. Um, now, people who uh, are listening to this may want to reach out to you, um, you know, to, to touch base or, or even to volunteer their time to assist you and, and the Greens. Um, how can they reach you? Uh, yeah, you can um, reach me um, on Instagram. So the, my Instagram handle is uh, Greens for Bankstown. Uh, uh, you can reach out uh, as well on Facebook. So on Facebook, it's just Bankstown Greens. Mm -hmm. um, or you, you can also reach out on my personal Instagram, the real Isaac Nasendra. Um, that's uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an open book. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Just reach out, and have, I'm happy to have a chat. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and for the listeners, I'll, uh, I'll obviously, as always, uh, uh, link all of those uh, details in the show notes for this episode. So uh, uh, Isaac uh, is easy to find. So yeah, if you if you if you want to get in touch. Uh, please definitely look there or, or yeah, search the uh, the details that uh, Isaac just gave out there. Uh, look, that's that's it. I won't take up uh, any more of your valuable time. Um, uh, appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, uh, not only for coming on the podcast, but for the work that you're doing in the community. It's it's really important. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy, for the work you're doing. I don't think you get the flowers that you deserve, but I just <laughs> wanted to give you thanks for, you know, uh, taking your time to create this podcast and be your own voice, but promote other voices in the spaces, the very spaces that you, you're involved in as well. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's lovely. Cheers. And that was my chat with Isaac Nasendra. Uh, thank you so much for listening to it. I hope that you uh, you got a lot out of it because I certainly enjoyed talking to Isaac. He's a very passionate guy and a very, very, very intelligent guy. So it was wonderful to to be able to uh, get some of his precious time to come on the podcast and have a chat with him about what he's doing. Now, just a few details about the election coming up. The voting day is on Saturday, the 25th of March, which is when this episode drops, it's that coming Saturday. Uh, if you're like me and you work on Saturdays, uh, yeah, it's hard for you to get out there and vote. There is pre-polling available uh, the whole week leading up. So from today, the 20th of March through to Friday the 24th, there is pre-polling available. So you can get out there you know, at your convenience throughout the week and, uh, and cast your vote early. Uh, just look up your uh, your local council's website to find out where the pre-polling stations are. Uh, 
and also uh, where the voting locations are for the big day, for Saturday as well. All that, uh, all that information will be available there, or just give your council a ring, and they'll be able to help you out. Now, uh, for just a, a few things, just to wrap things up, uh, please uh, keep sharing the podcast, be it by word of mouth or on social media or however you're doing it. I know people have been doing it uh, already. Thank you so much. It's such a big help. It means so much to me. Uh, as I always say, this is a, something of a, a labor of love. And um, it, you know, I, I take so much pride in the fact that you know, people care about it enough to, to share it around. So please keep, uh, please keep doing it. And if you've already done it, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, look, that's it for this episode. So until next time, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and I'll catch you next week with another amazing guest.